I want to uh, invite you this morning to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at a man who, in, in many ways, is overlooked, I feel, in the scriptures. His name is Barnabas. And there are some encouragements as far as fulfilling the Great Commission that, that uh, we can draw from the life of Barnabas. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, uh, verse 19 through 26. Acts 11, verses 19 through 26. And you can just follow along. I'll read right through the passage out loud. You can follow along silently as I read. And here the Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Let's go ahead and uh, just unite our hearts together in prayer and ask the Lord to speak to us uh, from... Uh, the life and the example of Barnabas as it's recorded uh, for us here in Scripture. Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for uh, each of these students here at uh, British Columbia Baptist College. Lord, I, I pray that you would bless their lives mightily. Lord, that you would uh, enrich them with uh, knowledge and understanding of your word. And Lord, as far as ministry potentially and uh, Lord, in the future, what you have for them. And I pray even right now that uh, you'd use them even today, Lord, right where they're at in the midst of their studies. Uh, continue to use them and show them and demonstrate for them your power and your, uh, your plan uh, for each of their lives. We thank you for your word and we pray that you would uh, use it now in our lives and in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we know a little bit about Barnabas primarily from the book of Acts. In fact, he's mentioned 29 times in the book of Acts. The first time being back in Acts chapter 4, uh, where we learn that he was of the priestly tribe of Levite. And he was a Cyprian-born uh, Jew. His name, Barnabas, means son of consolation. But what's interesting about that, if we look at Acts 4 and verse 36, is that his actual name by birth was Joseph, or a, a form of Joseph, uh, but who by the apostles 
was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. So Barnabas was kind of like a nickname uh, for uh, this man, and it was given to him by a group of men uh, that got to know Barnabas in, in a way that his character and his testimony ministered ministered to their hearts so powerfully that they said, you know, Barnabas is a good name for this man. He's a son of consolation. Uh, he has uh, encouragement in the very core, in the very fiber of his being. He just exudes that uh, wherever that he goes. And so that's high praise indeed uh, for Barnabas coming from the apostles. We uh, know uh, that uh, early on he sold his property and gave the proceeds for the ministry of the church in Acts chapter 4, verse 37. Uh, he was also the first to stand with and beside the newly converted Saul when much of the church would have been uh, in complete terror. I mean, they'd have been horrified uh, to think that we'd invite this man into the fellowship. Uh, because he had mercilessly persecuted the early church. And yet Saul, uh, uh, what, as he preached and, and as Barnabas learned of his testimony, there was something about that that struck a chord in Barnabas' heart as being genuine. And so uh, Barnabas stood with him. We learn in our text today that he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith. And of course, Barnabas, together with Saul, uh, were called by God and sent by the church at Antioch as the first missionary team. This man became beloved by the church, a man who had the testimony that he actually hazarded his life for the sake of the gospel over in Acts 15 and verse 26. Perhaps the only blemish on Barnabas' record that we know of uh, was that he somehow got caught up with Peter in the book of Galatians, uh, in, in the controversy over Jewish uh, observances, Judaistic practices among the Gentile uh, believers. And Paul had to uh, rebu rebuke and correct that. So that's a brief biography. I mean, we could, we could take a deeper dive into all of that. But I want to move on uh, in our message uh, with this intriguing, beloved character uh, and draw out some principles that are applicable in world evangelization from the life of Barnabas. We often think of Paul. You know, he's the great church planner, missionary statesman of the New Testament. And of course that's true. All of that's true. God mightily used him. But Barnabas was every inch a missionary too. And God used him mightily. In fact, humanly speaking... I don't know if you've ever considered this, but there might not have been a Paul if there wasn't a Barnabas. And the first principle that I want to bring to your attention is that I believe every missionary, every servant of God, every pastor needs a Barnabas, maybe multiple Barnabases by their side. They need an encourager. They need a son of consolation. Uh, the missionary, if you, if you think strictly in terms of missionaries, and I love your missionary boards, and your, your missionaries are spread out uh, around the world, 
Uh, many of them are serving in uh, some isolated and obscure places where perhaps the nearest uh, fellowship of like-minded believers, the next uh, church that uh, really they could fellowship with is hours and hours, hundreds of kilometers away. And so as we think about that, missionaries need a Barnabas. They need companionship. Sometimes the missionary church planner is, is sent out uh, maybe with a, a, just a sink or swim kind of an idea. Well, here's a, here's $100, a pat on the back, and away you go, right? And the, the tragedy of that is sometimes there's a whole lot more sinking than swimming that's taking place. It's, it's as uh, the one quote I read says, uh, when it's all said and done, there's usually more said than has ever been done, okay? And uh, we don't, we don't want to go there. I mean, we're, you're making an investment in missionaries. Uh, we want them to succeed, uh, we, we want them to be established on that mission field. We want to see uh, fruit that uh, incurs to our account as we have an investment there. And uh, many times, uh, if they had a Barnabas, it could make an incredible difference. You all know the uh, man who is credited with being the father and the founder of the modern missionary movement. It's William Carey. And yet, when William Carey first arrived in Calcutta, India, and set up a base of operation, he quickly realized that as one man and one couple there on the field, he was completely inadequate for the task uh, that was before him. And so he wrote back to his mission society in England, and he said, I recommend at the very least that seven or eight additional families be sent. Can you imagine that? Now, five eventually went, three of the five stayed, and among them was a printer by the name of William Ward. We don't hear much about him compared to Carey. But William Ward wrote in the spring of, uh, or late fall, I think, of 1798, and he said to William Carey these words, Sometime in the coming months, I hope to embark with others. It is in my heart to live and die with you, to spend and be spent with you. And William Ward, though he was not a vocational minister of the gospel, he's a printer. He went, he was good to his word. He worked alongside of Carrie for 25 years before dying of cholera at the age of 53. And without him, you wonder uh, how much of all that translation work that Carey did would have actually found its way onto the printed page. Uh, likely without William Ward, they would have never successfully established the Bible Institute in Sarampur. But this is how God can use a companion, a, a son of consolation, encourager, Missionaries need that. And just like, just like Paul needed Barnabas and like Jonathan uh, was there for David, the missionary needs that companionship too. The missionary often needs a, a confidant, uh, someone uh, in, in whom they can uh, share maybe uh, their, their deepest uh, desires and uh, longings for, for uh, ministry share their successes as well as their failures 
We all love to get the prayer letters. And if you, you don't already know it, I'm, I'm sure your, your pastor has shared something similar to this with you. But while we all love to hear the good news, <laughs> you know, glowing reports of success and uh, numbers saved and baptized and everything, the, the thing about it is that the prayer letters don't tell the whole story, do they? And uh, that's understandable. There, there's some things maybe that can't be shared in a prayer letter. But yet, the missionary needs to have somewhere. He has the Lord, right? We say, well, he's got his wife, his family. Uh, but sometimes, even in addition to that, uh, the missionary needs someone to be able to share uh, those burdens with. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, that iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We all need that experience of iron sharpening iron. And uh, we need those colleagues and companions in ministry. Uh, the missionary may need comfort. May need comfort. Again, Paul, uh, when he was just Saul, he, he needed that comfort <laughs> that Barnabas brought to say, you know what? I think there's a place in the church for you. I, I think there's a place in God's service for you. The church was terrified. They didn't believe, you see, that, that Saul had even been saved. How could that be? Maybe it was a ruse to infiltrate, get inside the church, and then drag more of them off to prison and to uh, their execution. But thank God there was Barnabas, and what a comfort that must have been to the newly converted Saul. Uh, the missionary needs all these things through companionship. And sometimes the missionary even needs challenging. I don't know if you've thought of that. But sometimes, you know, our perspective can be a little bit, uh, just when we're on our own, it can become a little bit of a tunnel vision or a little bit myopic or near, nearsighted, you know. And we need someone to come along and, and, and maybe share ideas and challenge what we're thinking. I, in the early years of this new ministry, I've traveled uh, to the uh, shorelines of all three Canadian oceans, which means I've been in some pretty isolated places. And I remember uh, speaking with one pastor who pastored for 17 years in a little out-of-the-way spot in Newfoundland. And he said to me, Brother Thiessen, when you're so isolated like I am, he says there's times you begin to wonder if you're thinking right. And he said, you know, your visit here and just taking time to listen to me has kind of restored my sanity a little bit. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we need that, that challenging, that, again, going back to that iron sharpening iron. Sometimes <clears throat> we need to hear a difficult message, and maybe the Barnabas can bring that. And it does make a difference, by the way, who, who delivers that difficult message and the Spirit in which they deliver it. So this is one great principle. Everyone needs a Barnabas. Everyone needs a son or a daughter of consolation. Uh, when you launch out into whatever ministry God calls you to, you, you'll need people like that. And I want to encourage you also that you can be that person. You can be a Barnabas. Secondly, this is a real valuable principle. Number two it's okay to serve in the shadows. When we think about Paul, we say, wow, great man. Whew. Wrote half the New Testament. 
planted churches all across Asia, went as far as Rome with the gospel. I mean, he challenged men in positions of power and authority. He won, won people in, in the courts of the emperor to the Lord. I mean, this is, this is an incredible powerhouse for God. But then there was Barnabas. Now, Barnabas, as far as age and seniority in the church, he was actually the elder statesman. He was one of the earlier believers. You know, Saul come along, he's just a young uh, upstart. <laughs> but quickly, as you read the account in Acts chapter 13, you understand that it's no longer Barnabas and then there's Saul. But it quickly becomes Paul and his team. Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas becomes just a, an add-on in a way. He served in the shadows under Paul's prominent ministry. But the thing to love about this is that Barnabas was okay with that. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Now, I hope you understand something. We all serve in the shadow of Jesus Christ. It, it, it's not whatever ministry God blesses you in or with. It, it's all about him. It's not about us. So we serve in that shadow, and we're happy to do so, and we, we embrace that. But the rub comes sometimes when we understand that God even chooses men, individuals among us, at times to have maybe a little more prominent role. They're, they're in the limelight a little bit more. Maybe they have a title or, or a position, and we don't. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful in that. It was an issue for the disciples, wasn't it? Jesus was there, John chapter 13. And the disciples were at each other's throats a little bit. You know, there was a dispute. Who would be the greatest? Who, who's going to sit on your right hand in your kingdom? Who's going to sit on the left? You know, who's going to have that prominent role? And Jesus had to teach them. And he used a powerful object lesson in John 13 because he girded himself as a servant, and he stooped down, and he washed those feuding disciples' feet. He washed their feet. Wow. It's okay. It's okay not to have a title, not to have an elevated position, not to be the first man always. It's okay. And when we serve in the shadows, we've got to guard against things like a discouraged spirit. Because we can get uh, internalizing this and think, well, you know what? I should have maybe had that position. You know, maybe there's not so much I can do. And we get discouraged. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, that God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And really, we need to understand, every work done for God is great. Whether or not it's in the bright lights or if it's in the obscurity of uh, the back rooms, right? The shadows. 
Don't let the serving in the shadows discourage your spirit. Do not let it result in a diminished effort. That's another danger. Uh, how, how so? Well, uh, think back to the parable that Jesus gave us in Matthew 25 of the talents. And you, you recall that how there was one uh, servant entrusted with five talents, another with two, and another with one. Well, what happened with all of that? The servant who had the five talents, he went and invested it wisely, and he put it to good profit and received another five and increased to ten. And similarly, the, the one who'd be given only the two talents. But this last servant with one talent, when the master came and <laughs> required an accounting, his response was, well, I was afraid. And I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there hast that, uh, thou, thou, uh, uh, thou hast that as thine. And, and it's, it's like this. I said, well, I'm, I'm not the five-talent Christian. I'm not even the two-talent Christian. I'm just the one-talent Christian. And if we take the attitude of that servant, it's, it's like this. I haven't been given much, so don't expect much from me. It, it, it's, it's a sorry, sinful attitude. Because just in light that maybe we haven't got all of the gifting of our neighbor and the next person to say that, well, therefore, I'm not going to invest so much in the work. No, wherever, whatever God has blessed you with, invest your 100%, your best. There's no room for half an effort in God's service. And by the way, your one talent will go way further when it's invested wisely than the five talents of someone else that's set on a shelf. So God can use you in an amazing way. Pull with all your weight. It's kind of like the, the unsung hero on the sports team, right? And when they have an award for an unsung hero, who is it? Is it usually the guy or the gal who's just got uh, silky smooth athleticism and they've just got all the talent seems in the world? No, the unsung hero is a guy that just, although he doesn't have a whole lot of skill, he, in, he invests everything into the good of the team. And he gives it and, and leaves it all on the ice or all on the field each and every night. And the teammates appreciate that. And they say, we could not have had the team success without that guy. And we can determine to be that guy or that girl in, in the Lord's work. Don't let the shadows diminish your effort. And don't let, don't let serving in the shadows result in a developed uh, jealousy in your lives where, you, where we become envious then uh, or even critical or bitter. It's a very dangerous thing. Hebrews 12, 15 says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. You know, Satan is a master manipulator. And he will look for any inroad to discredit the work of God, the work of Christ. Uh, you know, even after many years of ministry, there have been times in my life where I have been alerted to 
just a tiny little seed maybe of jealousy and bitterness wanting to spring up in my own heart, Pastor, in my life. And it frightens me to think that God could use that. And someone who's a vocational servant of God, I've given my life, I've been preaching now 40 years, and yet Satan could use that to spring up in my heart, and if I allow it to take root, if I allow it to germinate and bear fruit, it could be, bring great harm to the cause of Jesus Christ. And we just we can't allow that to happen. Let someone else have the front seat, amen? Let someone else serve in the limelight. And as a Barnabas, we come along and we help move that individual forward. We say, we're going we're gonna to add some, uh, some momentum to what God's doing in that, man, uh, in that man's life. Like Paul. That spirit of jealousy, in that, it, it's a spirit of diatrophies. In 3 John, verse 9. John said, I wrote unto the church by Diotrephes, who what? Who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. And he said, I, I got a Diotrephes, I'm going to put other people down so I can elevate myself. Let's, let's run scared of that kind of spirit, amen? Serve in the shadows. A third principle. Serving in the shadows is, is quite all right for the servant of God, for the Barnabas. And it's needed in any successful missionary endeavor. You know, someone said to me once, there's no telling what God can do when we do not care who gets the glory other than him. All right? Um, every missionary, every servant of God needs a Barnabas, needs a companion. Thirdly, and here's a great principle. Teamwork is critical to the cause. Barnabas really uh, fostered that uh, teamwork concept. He, he embraced it. Uh, Barnabas and Saul were, as we saw in Acts 13, called by God and sent by the church at Antioch. This was the first missionary team sent out. Um, they were, in essence, the leaders of a team that consisted of more than just, uh, just Saul and Barnabas. There were many others. And throughout the first three years of Paul's ministry, Barnabas was his companion. Uh, there was a division that happened, however, in Acts chapter 15. And we can maybe get into that a little bit later if we, if we have a little bit of time. Uh, but as a result of the division... Two missionary teams went out. So there was a multiplication of the teams. And now uh, young John Mark was with Barnabas and Paul and Silas were a team. But we see teamwork, teamwork constantly. You've heard it probably said there's no I in team. Okay, There, there is an I in the middle of pride and the middle of sin, <laughs> but not in team. All right, when God's people truly are working together. And why is teamwork so critical? And why was Barnabas uh, all on board with being a, a team member? It's because teamwork demonstrates God's design from the very beginning. God never designed 
for us to live and work and serve all alone. I'm glad for that. And that plan was demonstrated uh, already early on in the book of Genesis when God looked at Adam and he said, you know what? Look at this guy. I created this man out of the, out of the dust. I formed him. And there's all these creatures running around on earth, but you know what? This guy's all alone. And it's not good for the man to be alone. That's what God said. And God ordained the family, the family. Aren't you glad for that? God further designed man to live in communities, and he ordained civil government. You know, we all benefit living in a, in, in a society where the work of many contributes to everyone's benefit. It's because others are serving in some endeavor, some unique field, and, and lending their skills and God-given abilities uh, that, that brings us so many of the uh, necessities and in the, in the enjoyments of life, right? So that's all part of God's plan in a good way. And then God gave us the church, gave us the church. It's an assembly, a called out assembly of believers. And it's, it's unique in, in a couple of ways because not only what goes on with, within the context of each local church, when I think of an assembly, uh, my, my boys growing up did a lot of Lego. I don't know if any of you were into Lego, but they were into Lego. So you get a box, you know, 700 and whatever pieces, 1,500 pieces. Here you go, okay? Assembly is not just having all those pieces in one place or in one box. Assembly requires every piece in its specific and intended spot. And that's wonderful within the context of a local church. It's not just a group of people thrown together in a building. It's an assembly. And, and God is the designer, right? God has laid out the plan and he assembles his church. As, as the word is preached, as fellowship happens, as all of this takes place and people learn to worship and serve together, they find their God-ordained place. Okay, And that's necessary. And then outside of the church, God ordains it that the local church is sending missionaries. And so Paul and Silas were sent. And that's all part of God's design. Furthermore, teamwork results in greater efficiency. You're all familiar with what synergy is, right? So the, the idea is that you have an interaction of, of elements or forces come to bear that when combined, they produce a total effect that is greater than the sum of their individual parts. And that's a, a wonderful principle, isn't it? So, you know, in other words, Saul could have gone out on his own and Barnabas could have gone out on his own and Luke could have gone out on his own and people could have gone out and just they wouldn't have got near as much accomplished as they did working together. And as you study the life of Paul even, it's amazing to me that over time he added men, added depth to his team, not only men but ladies also serving in their roles. And if you study through Paul's epistles, you, you'll find at least 40 
uh, people specifically named that at some point were um, uh, team members in Paul's missionary efforts. Isn't that amazing? Um, it, it's a wonderful thing. And we, we, need that, we need that depth in our ministry. We need that depth because, unfortunately, uh, Satan comes along and he'll, he'll pick off one here and he'll pick off one there. And just like a good team, it's, it's that motto, the next man up. You know, who's going to be the next man up for God? The next woman up to say, you know what, I'm here. Teamwork provides also deeper satisfaction. Um, you've maybe heard of the pastor that went out golfing on a Sunday morning. Have you heard this story? He played hooky. I guess he had a guest speaker in. I don't know what it was. But he just said, you know what, I'm going to go out and golf today. And his wife, of course, scolded him. How can you do that? But he went out. And, you know, he, he, he was out there golfing all by himself. And on the ninth tee, it was like a 160-yard shot. He made a beautiful tee shot. I mean, it just... Sailed straight, true, through the air. It landed on the green. It bounced a couple of times. It rolled a few feet, and it dropped right in the cup. It was a hole-in-one. But, you know, the thing about all that was, who's he going to tell? <laughs> who's he going to tell? It was on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Um, you know, there, there's not so much satisfaction when you're all out there by yourself. But when we come together, there's a greater rejoicing. And this is what Jesus taught in John chapter 4, verse 36. He said, He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. He's talking about evangelism, missionary work, God's work that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. What a wonderful thing. Herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. God's designed teamwork. God has designed it for greater efficiency and for greater rejoicing. So we've seen three principles, one more and then we're through. We, we've seen that everyone, every servant of God needs a Barnabas, that it's okay to serve in the shadows, and that uh, teamwork is absolutely essential to the cause. It's critical. And lastly, without a successor, we are not a success. Without a successor, we are not a success. Whatever it is you're doing today, um, you're only here in term. You're only here in term. Um, you know, hope, hopefully we're here for many more years <laughs> serving God. But um, ultimately, um, it's pointed on a man wants to die. Uh, we're we're going to be gone. Uh, I turned 60 last summer. And in, within a month, I, I not only turned 60, but I lost my dad and I lost my father-in-law. Both graduated. They're with the Lord. And I guess all of those things combined, this pastor, got me really contemplating, you know, where I'm at in life. The Bible teaches us, it says, uh, you know, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And I just really began to think about this, that 
I only have so much time left. So, number one, I better make sure that every day counts. It's just like another brick in a, in a building that is under construction. <laughs> you know, if, if the bricklayer says, well, this brick is not that important, you know, guess what? You, you'll end up with a flawed structure at the end. And our lives are comprised of one day at a time. And we better make sure everyone counts and everyone's put into good use and, and we're good stewards of it. But also, I thought, who am I investing in that can come along behind me and carry forward the work? Who am I looking to invest in as a successor? My work is not a success if I leave a great legacy to my name. Say, so, well, look, look what Pastor Thiessen did. In my books, that's not success. Because it's not just my generation. And if I can leave something that can be carried forward and that other men and women can get involved with and carry forward, that's true success, I believe. So when Barnabas had this division with John Mark, and you read about it in Acts 15. Look, look, look that up real quickly with me, if you would. In Acts chapter 15. Um, okay, here we are, verse 36. So the first missionary journey is complete. Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch. And there's a determination here in verse 36. It says, some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder, one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. Now, I know there's a whole, whole lot here. <laughs> and uh, there, there's many good thoughts about all of that. It, in fact, it's the last mention of the missionary work of Barnabas. But here we look at two good men, and there's a division. And it's over... A young man, John Mark, who, by the way, um, he had uh, departed. He had gone back to Jerusalem uh, early on in that, early, that first missionary journey. We're, we're not told all the reasons, uh, but Paul drew some conclusions, it's apparent, that John Mark was uh, immature, maybe a little unstable, really wasn't fit for the ministry. That's the conclusion that Paul drew. And so he said, no, we're, we're not taking him. Not taking him. But Barnabas, the uncle, he said, no, I, I insist on it. It'll be good for him. He needs to grow, but I see, I see uh, <laughs> some positives in his life. I see potential. I still believe in him. They could not come to an agreement. And the Bible, interestingly enough, does not say uh, that one was right and one was wrong between Paul and Barnabas. I personally believe 
that the young man needed both. You know, he, he needed a little bit of sandpaper in his life. <laughs> he, needed, he needed Paul who said, you know, yeah, boy, you need, you need to buck up. You need to put your big boy pants on. You know, you, you, you need to grow a little bit and mature a little bit. And you, you know, maybe down the road, but not now uh, is the time for ministry. So he needed that. Have you ever had someone just kind of get in your face? And say, you know what, you need to grow up. You need to. I had that happen once to me in Bible college. And it was a silly thing that happened, but, you know, a uh, roommate of mine and I, we ended up missing the bus that went to the evening service for church. And we tried to circle back and, and get into the dorms without the security noticing us. And, and I, you know what, it all came out. And, and my roommate got in my face and, and, and my friend. And he said, you know what's wrong with you guys? You don't have any character. You know? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Talk about sandpaper. But I needed that. And I think John Mark kind of needed some of that approach too. But he also needed the Barnabas. He needed someone that after a rough experience could come along and say, you know what, son? I still believe in you. You've got tremendous potential for God and I'm not going to abandon you <laughs> thank God for that thank God for that and you know John Mark went off to become a success in fact he gave us the gospel of Mark it, it, his testimony led Paul to later having to acknowledge that, you know, that young man's profitable to me for the ministry. And so now you had a successor. You had someone coming along in the next generation that without Barnabas, maybe wouldn't have made it. Probably wouldn't have made it. It's important for us to see that there's another generation coming that needs to be established and equipped and encouraged in the things of God. And we can do that through our lives. Whether it's establishing them in a, a foundation of sound doctrine. Like you were teaching uh, bibliology, Pastor Silver, this morning. And uh, we're all learning those the, through a survey of Bible doctrine. It's so important. We have that f foundation. We also need a foundation of faith and confidence in God. And another generation is going to be looking to us. And it, it's not just all about what we say, but how we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves day to day, that they're going to look and say, you know, is, is his God or her God real? Does their God answer prayer for them? You know? Does their, their God provide for them in the midst of great need? Does their God uh, supply courage? against overwhelming obstacles is your God real people need the next generation your my children need to see that where are they, they going to learn that pastor if they, they don't learn it from me or they don't learn it from uh, from another so they need to be established in that and then they need a foundation of of practical ministry knowledge practical ministry knowledge a lot of that practical come part comes through opportunity and experience you know we, we, it, it's kind of like um, a merry-go-round of a, you know, experience versus qualifications. 
Maybe, maybe find that out sometime when you apply for a job. Well, we're looking for somebody with experience. You know, okay, well, how do I get experience? If no one ever gives me a chance, right? <laughs> and, then, and then it comes full circle to where some people later, well, you got too much experience. Okay, well, I give up. No. <laughs> um, it's the same way in the Lord's work. You know, Barnabas was willing to say, John, Mark, you just need a little more experience. You come with me and you'll gain that experience. John Mark says, okay, I'm, I'm all in for that. And he gained the experience. Mark Twain is reported to have said, I knew a man who grabbed a cat by the tail and instantly learned 40% more about cats than the man who didn't. <laughs> and, so, and sometimes we learn, right? You gra grab, a, grab a cat by the tail, you're going to learn a whole lot. And uh, you step out, launch out into the deep and attempt something, and boy, all of a sudden there's obstacles and there's problems, there's difficulties. That's all part of it. You're learning. Um, we need to equip and encourage another generation. Thank God for a Barnabas. I'll close with a, a simple illustration. It was a remote district in Wales where a baby boy lay dangerously ill. The widowed uh, mother walked five miles in the night and through drenching rain to get a doctor. The doctor hesitated to make the trip. Would it pay, he questioned. He would receive no money. And besides, he thought, if the child's life were saved, he would no doubt only become a poor laborer. But his love for humanity and professional duty won the day. And he went, and the little life was saved. Many years afterwards, this same child, Lloyd George, became Prime Minister of England. And the doctor said, I never dreamed that in saving the life of that child on that farm, I was saving the life of the greatest man in Wales. You never know what your contribution, your influence, your encouragement is going to do for that next person. And God can and will and wants to use each of us in that way. Lord. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.